listening to episode 170 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our look at season two of TNT's The Librarians. And as we were saying, it's been a mixed day on the Baltimore sports front for us. Right, but the, I mean, if if I had to choose which team would win and which team would lose, this is how I'd roll. Like the O's making it to the postseason and the Ravens with a disappointing uh, one point loss penalty marred loss to the Oakland uh, Raiders. You know, it's, I said to my wife that I, I just can't get upset because they're really not a very good team. Yeah, I, to be three and one at this point, amazing. Is, well, I mean, I, I fear we would because the the opening schedule was so weak. But of course, did the Bills beat the Patriots? They today? did. I saw shut them out. So yeah, so you look now that the win over Buffalo is starting to look a little bit yeah. better. You know. Everything, but again, we digress. People don't want to hear us talk uh, about sports. We should do another. We should do a Baltimore sports podcast. There we go. We should look at yeah. sister podcast. That'd be because like, like not like there's any of those around. But you know. <laughs> there aren't as many as you would think. Believe it or not, really. Yeah, I checked one time right. because uh, some guy workman at my house was telling me about his brother-in-law has has one, and you know, so of course, I looked it up, and yeah, it was pretty good. But there just weren't all that many. But Again, oh, hmm. let's stop. We digress. <laughs> yeah, we have now digressed from the digression. Right, but we're still. But one thing more I want to say is that I mean, really, everyone listening, you should be fortunate we're even getting this one in because it's a it is a busy weekend with uh, genre television, and it's only going to get busier. I was yeah. looking at the calendar today, so yeah, as you said, and, and for me, really, I've been. Continuing with Stargate Universe, plotting along. I'm a few episodes into the second and final season. But as you know, we have a student intern at school that that I got hooked on the hundred. So it kind of motivated me to go back and do a rewatch because I'd only seen each episode once. So I'm in season two of that, and wow, it's just spectacular. It's just an awesome show. Yeah, like the hundred a lot. It's a good yep. show. And then, of, of um, course, tonight we've yep. got, we're recording on Sunday night, so we've got the debut of Westworld on HBO. Yeah, very excited yep. for that. But And, uh, um, you know, Luke Cage came out on Friday night. Or Friday, did you, did you right? watch any? Yeah, well, so I watched like the first two. I started watching the number three and I started falling asleep. So and it's not because it was boring. I was just like wicked tired last night. So, but it was good. You know, it's, it's really good. It's, you know, it's, a lot like Jessica Jones in tone, you know, with like that dark urban gritty kind of almost, um, you know, it's not quite uh cyberpunk, but it's, you know, kind of close, you know, it's cool. Well, and the guy, you know, play, I can't remember the, the actor, the guy playing uh, Luke Cage is just awesome. So I can't remember his name either, but you know, it, it, it's like Michael. Something. There was a, a post in one of the Facebook groups, and I I can't remember whether it was Michael Keller or not, and and which Facebook group it was in because he participates in a lot of the ones that we, that we do, but making the point that what Marvel's doing is rather smart. They're they're just basically producing a lot of different shows with a lot of different tonal possibilities, and it's almost as if there's something for everybody, but everything's not going to be for everybody. Right, like kids do not watch Luke Cage. Well, but even for me, I I just didn't grasp onto Daredevil. It just didn't do it for me. So I've really only Uh, seen the first episode. I I just, I know. But you know what I told Dave? Remember what I told you? 
right? You, like I would, you could even skip the first, well, don't skip the first couple episodes, but it's like, it's so worth it, dude. It's so good. It gets so good. You're like a friend of mine that uh, used to play in a band with, with our buddy Chris as well. Uh, when I'd say why I wasn't going to drink beer, I, I said, it's just going to make me tired. And he's like, dude, you got to keep going. You got to power through. <laughs> by the time you get to the third, fourth, fifth, you're good to go. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I don't know if that's a good uh, comparison <laughs> there, but uh, I, I see what you mean. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway. But then, see, the, the thing is, like, you know, it, like taking your, you know, the the, uh, the metaphor we're going with here, drinking those beers is kind of like a pleasurable experience in and of itself. So, you know, like even though you're powering through to get to the really good stuff, you know, okay, actually I lost it by that. But yeah, hey, you, <laughs> you should, you should uh, really give a, uh, uh, you know, you're a big I boy. Know. You make your own decisions. No. But I'm just saying it gets like the first couple episodes are a little awkward. And, you know, I didn't know if I liked them that much, but I kind of just stuck with it. And then it just really got good about, I think it was like four episodes in. Okay. And I'm going to do the same with Luke Cage and, and perhaps I'll, I don't want to prejudge it because I have no idea. So I'll just, I'm right. going to give well, it a shot. <laughs> well, like the thing, there's not like a lot of action with him at first, you know, like you want to see Luke like beating guys up and, 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 you know, in action sequences. And there's just not a lot of that, especially early on. Um, and again, like I said, I've only watched the first two episodes. But you you know there's going to be some you know it's kind of like Jessica Jones it's the same way you know there's not a lot going on at first but once it kicked in it really kicked in hard you okay. know. Well, let's move on because actually tonight we're here to discuss the librarians, season two, episode two, title the librarians and the broken staff, which we intended to do it along with episode one last week, but time just got away from us. So we figured let's do it justice and, and we'll hold it off till uh, this week. Uh, as always, we want to remind you, we'd love to hear from you via email at sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com or at the website where you can leave a voicemail using the leave voicemail tab. You can record your own audio clips and the MP3 as an attachment, or just send us a tweet at sci-fi TV rewatch. And we'd encourage you to consider joining the Facebook group, join the discussions there. And we we've gotten a few new members on the Facebook group. And as I'm sure you saw, although you have had a busy weekend, we've set the listener feedback challenge. Despite Michael Keller's lament that we've assigned homework I think we've laid out a simple, fun question. Who's your favorite, the librarian's character, and explain why. Now, be certain you've got a multi-paragraph essay with a claim, not a thesis, because you're arguing your case. Not a five-paragraph essay. That's right. Those have been outlawed. All right, just kidding. (laughs) Uh, But yes, you need, we're looking for um, good support and analysis. Uh, We want, you know, we want to see above average use of the conventions of the English language. So- uh, send, send us your take. We'll read it on the podcast and put the names in a hat and draw a winner for the companion novel, The Librarians and the Lost Lamp. And you have until noon Eastern time on October 14th to get those in. And we already got a couple in, Wayne, and I'm not going nice. to I'm not going to tell you who their favorite character is. Anyway, all right, so uh, let's go ahead and move on to this episode. As we said, episode two of season two, Librarians and the Broken Staff. Written by Alexa Alemani, Joe Booth, and Holly Moyer. Directed by Mark Roskin, who also directed uh, episode 201. And this one, as we said, aired right after episode one on November 1st, 2015. But he's like what, the producer, right? I like, believe so, yeah. 
Yeah. All right. So, uh, you know, a few points of interest, uh, the, the pairings at, at the beginning, even Flynn, of course, then we've got Jones, Cassandra and Stone and then Jenkins versus Prospero and Moriarty. But but they really shift. And I'll talk about you know what, the, the pairings that I really have come to love. And, you know, with only six characters when Flynn's there, it does you know make the combination somewhat difficult. But but right. still, for me, uh, my favorites are really when even Flynn are together, Jones and Stone and then Cassandra and Jenkins, because their relationship really seems to be going somewhere. Especially with, you know, just to see Jenkins on board at all, like in, as part of the team is, is kind of neat because he's so, the whole, especially the first season, he's kind of like, you know, like standoffish and everything. Yeah. And, and it seems as if she sees something lacking in Jenkins that she's able to provide, which is interesting because she's so young and he's so old. I mean, you know, what's he, 500 years old? Yeah, he's super right. old. But like. it's just like that something's missing. And, you know, maybe it's because he's been alone for so long, which he admits to having liked. But, you know, now that he's surrounded by people, you know, maybe it's just a difficult transition for him. The last time he was kind of part of a team, it ended up rather badly. So... You know, there was that. And so it would explain his reluctance to get on board with a group effort again. Yeah. Now, we continue to follow the ever-puzzling relationship between Eve and Flynn, (laughs) why she's playing hard to get. However, I got to say, it's nice to not have to read comments threatening the showrunner should they go their separate ways. Everybody just (laughs) understands it's like it's a fun show. It's a fun relationship. If they stay together, great. If they don't, whatever. You know, which was no, I can't give that away. That's a plot. That's a spoiler from the from the novel, The uh, Lost Lamp. So oh, I almost gave something uh, away. Oh uh, yeah, and then no one would join the contest because you was blown. No, I did put a photo of the book out there. Also, <clears throat> I saw yeah. that's a good photo. It's good, good attractive cover well, of the book. I well, like you know that. what? That's what happens when you have a smartphone. And you yeah. email it to yourself. I, I'm sure you can. There you go. I, I, You're bound to figure it out eventually. <laughs> oh, oh! I just you 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 got a photo. You put a photo on on Facebook. Well, I didn't do it directly. I I I know you probably can do that. I yeah. emailed it to myself as an attachment, oh. and then well, hey, baby I steps. Know. You know, baby steps. We're getting there. I, I, I didn't think about that. Well, congratulations, Thank Dave. You. It felt good. I'm proud of you. Yeah. Well done. All right. Now, I don't mean to pick at the plot line and, and, you know, some of the details, but, and, and maybe it's just that I'm missing something, but who freed Prospero initially? He like, he he was, he had freed himself, I think. And, and he had just been kind of plugging around. And then with the magic returning, he's become like super powerful. Okay, Because I, I know he did say, I thought he became a fictional in 1611. And then I thought, right. but I thought the definition, at least is what I thought Flynn said, is the definition of these fictionals is that they become such well-known, iconic characters. Well, it's sixteen eleven; he wouldn't have had time <laughs> to become an iconic character. So, well, maybe the Tempest was very popular in its day. You know? Okay, now why is he able to summon fictionals? Is it simply because he's the first? I, you know, I just think he's just gotten like super powerful, like I okay. said, from being outside of his book. And then, uh, you know, like I said, with the the uptick in magic, it's just all kind of 
Everything's coming up press. Okay. okay. And then, uh, of course, the, the mention that fictionals don't have free will, you'd answer my question about, well, if they don't have free will, how's he doing what he's doing? And you'd say he's he's become so powerful, he's able to go beyond not having free will, which which makes sense. Right. Uh, right. The other thing- I- But I mean, I, I think it's just a lot of it is just, just let it go. Okay. I know. Yeah. Because there's a lot that doesn't make sense. And I remember feeling that way through season two when I was watching it originally, just being like, that, uh, uh, this doesn't really make any sense. But then just realizing that, just roll with well, it. Well, and the thing about it is, you know, the, the dialogue does get really dense at times and it's very snappy at a lot of times. And- you almost have to go back and rewatch a particular scene. I'll tell you what I've gone to doing for a lot of the shows that that, that I podcast about and, and and write about is download the transcript of the, you know, and, and they put them up almost immediately. And it looks like what right. they do is they just get a file from closed captioning somehow. Uh-huh. So a lot of the stuff I'm able to you know pick up that way. The other thing I I found fascinating is that's a good idea. I wouldn't have to take notes anymore. Well. That's true. Uh, Moriarty doesn't really seem to want to help Prospero, especially after being told that Prospero feels entitled since he was the first fictional. So I guess it's like Moriarty feels he's being used. Uh, Yeah, a little bit. uh, That mention of John Dee, the English mathematician, astronomer, astrologer, Mm -hmm. cult philosopher, advisor to Queen Elizabeth. I had to look that up to see if he was real, and he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd never heard of him before that. And according to Flynn, also a wizard. But I think the most fascinating aspect of this story is the fact that the heart of the library is the tree of knowledge. I mean, what a brilliant idea. Oh, um, uh, just like what was like Lost Girl like did that too, right? Didn't they have like a thing? Well, like, the tree of life with Yggdrasil. Right. right. Okay. So, all right. Well, we got the opening scene and Cassie's going all sciency on us about, you know, what they just did with Moriarty and Prospero. <laughs> but I love Joan's takeaway on how they resolve things. Just a whack load of magic. He's able to kind of get to get to the heart of the of the matter. Yeah, I, I look, I, I'm going to give up who my favorite librarian's character is. And I'll say right now it's, it's Ezekiel Jones hands down. Yeah. That's not, that's not surprising yeah. at all. Um, but Flynn points out, and I didn't really think about it in these terms, but of course I should have. Well, they didn't really defeat Prospero. He's still out there with Moriarty. Sure. Right. And Ariel, right? And in fact, he might be, he's in our library as we yeah, speak. Yeah, exactly. So uh, speaking of the library, so Flynn wants to continue to work alone with Eve, but she, of course, sees the value in keeping the whole team together, especially while Prospero's still out there. And, you know, certainly he's as formidable a foe as they've had, but I don't know. I mean, Duloc was pretty formidable. I mean, yeah, he's definitely formidable for sure. But, you know, it it raises the fundamental conflict that arises from the fact that as far as I think we know, for the first time ever, there's more than one librarian, right? Right. So, I mean, on the one hand, it's easy to gloss over how this is affecting Flynn, it's like, why can't you see the benefit? But you know, he's just been one in the long line of solitary librarians. So I think we have to cut him some slack. Now, on the other hand, he does want some alone time with Eve, which we also can sure. understand. That's under- completely understandable. We mentioned about the fictionals, typically bound by their stories 
Prospero gave up magic in the play, but appears to be trying to gain it back. And it's clear that Jenkins is going to have to get used to Flynn being back and occupying roles that he'd occupied during Flynn's absence. And and one of the things that struck me was that so much of this episode is about power, how to get it, how to wield it, how to hold on to it, and not always necessarily in a negative way, because while Flynn and Jenkins are vying for the power in you know, holding the briefing. I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just something that each was used to doing. All right. I got to do this, Dave. I got the power. Nice. It's been a while, it's dude. Getting, it's getting, it's getting kind of hectic. Yeah, I know. It's just, I just had to do yeah. it though. It's like, it's just, I couldn't keep it bottled up. I guess anymore. we haven't had any lines that just, you know, <clears throat> that made me want to sing. Made you want to sing. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Now I love Flynn as the lecturing professor up at the board Jenkins, and and again, you see him in the background, and he's just barely able to contain his desire to resume his role. It's like when the the interns get up at the front of the room to teach. He's just like, (laughs) yeah, I've never had one. Never, really? I'm not not very good at relinquishing power. Right. (laughs) To be honest. Gotcha. You're a very Flynn-esque. Yes, I am. Uh, Well, it's here that the episode's theme, I think, really takes off. As we said, someone's got to be in charge. And, and you know, we've talked about this before, in, in, you know, whether it's in the librarians, whether it's in coaching, teaching, whatever. And, and I think that's what really all of them have to figure out how things are going to work. Because on the one hand, Eve is in charge. On the other hand, Jenkins is in charge. And, and then we'll get that scene later on where Jenkins is basically afraid of something he's done and how Flynn's going to react. And I'm thinking like, well, wait a minute, you're Sir Galahad. You're afraid. Yeah. He should, yeah, he should have a little bit more uh, like self-confidence. Yeah. You're afraid of the yeah. librarian. I mean, sure. who's it, who is in charge here? Well, you know, Jenkins has been like, you know, kind of hold up with his research for a long time. And, you know, and, and Flynn is a, you know, he just swans into a room and kind of takes over and everything. You know, he's, he's kind of an intimidating figure. Okay, well, was Judson in charge? You know, was he higher than Flynn? See, that's a good question. I mean, they like hired Flynn. You know, they brought him on. So I don't know. Kind of, but kind of not, okay. I think. It seemed like a very kind of cooperative effort with Judson and Flynn and... uh I can't remember the Jane Curtin's yeah. character's name. Yeah. But, you know, well, so she was like in charge of the money and everything. Uh, you know, he always had to bring back receipts and annoyed her when he didn't. And then, you know, Judson was kind of like, you know, like the research guy. So there's just kind of all aspects of a team. So I, there, I wouldn't say that either of them was really in charge of the other. Okay. Which, which I guess implies that the two of them, though, were at least above Flynn because he had to answer to them on a number of counts. So, well, I guess it's not all that important, but it, but it just really strikes me. Well, you're talking about this, this theme of, of power and, and power politics in there, then, then that would kind of play into that. Right. Yeah, sure. All right. Well, well, according to Flynn, because he's so iconic, Prospero's escaped his text, summoned Moriarty from his, 
And at this point, I'm starting to wonder whether or not Flynn is losing his edge due to his desire to be alone with Eve. Is I mean, because again, as from an outsider's perspective, having the whole team together has to be better. So again, I'm I'm just wondering if it's that new, you know, it's new relationship and it's clouding his judgment. But well, how how's it like? Like what? How, where was his judgment in question? Well, in other words, him wanting to go off with just her, in, yeah, instead of keeping the team together and and really coming up with. I think I'm. Well, more, he's he's. He, I think he's willing to have the team be together, just not with him. You know. Okay. Which may or may not be the best call. I'm just saying it's like he's taking it off the table before you realize what really is on the table or around yeah, the table. All right. Okay. Well, th- well, the other thing that, again, I'm still trying to figure out, why don't all characters that have become so iconic escape their books? Sure. Well, maybe because they don't have attitudes like Press Pro. Okay. All right. I don't know. But let's think of some, uh, that some characters that would be pissed off. You think, oh, can you think of, I, I, uh, what's the Thomas Hardy book? Tess, Tess of the Durbervilles. Uh, okay. I bet you she'd be pissed if she um, came, came to life. Yeah. Well, uh, you know? Macbeth might have Macbeth a- would be super pissed. Oh my, why did they do go with Macbeth? Yeah. Oh, because he's not really magical, right? Well, I guess not. Although you got the witches in there and. Uh, yeah. Oh, he would, he, he would be, he'd be super pissed. All right, well, your Sarian would be p- p- pissed off too. Yeah, catch twenty two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. I think we just opened up season four, man. Well, like we could really run with this. Yeah. This might be a whole new show. We'll just have like literary characters escaping, and like the literary police have to put them back. I like I it. I think we might have something here. All right, hope for Jasper Ford's not listening. Okay, and and, and I'm just, I think, just going to have to let go of of my reservations here, and and. and Make the leap of faith, you know, because uh, I, we know the confluence of events that that allowed it, the ley lines coming back, magic coming back. Not sure how all that coincides with the iconic nature of his character. I mean, again, why him is his is well, prosperous exactly. so much like, more than anybody else? Was I mean, did you even read The Tempest? No. No, neither did I. So I imagine uh, Shakespeare's plays, like The Tempest is like this really like not read play. I mean, I'm sure there's, I know there's others, but- and I know a lot of people have read The Tempest, but I mean, when you're really talking like I kind of characters in Shakespeare, uh, Prospero would be pretty far down on my list, I think. Well, sure. And if you think of iconic magicians, I mean, really, what they should have done is gone with Merlin, Harry Potter. Ooh. Wow. They would definitely <laughs> run into some uh, copyright infringement <laughs> issues there. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, oh, right. Shakespeare. Ah, good point. <laughs> Well, no wonder they do it. All right. Well, anyway. Yeah. But what, well, yeah. What, are there any other magicians in, in Shakespeare? I don't what know. The witches. Yeah. I would think the witches would probably be more, you know, like well-known and iconic than, you know, just uh, the fact that how many high school kids every year don't read it. Do they really wield magic? Yeah. You know. Well, yeah. A good point. You right. Know. Or right. do they, they just, just plant the seed in Macbeth's right. head and then his greed and lust for power, et cetera, et cetera. That sounds like they make a good essay question. Yeah, maybe. All right. So uh, Prospero's controlling attitude towards Moriarty is already rankling Conan Doyle's character. So it's, you know, we'll get to that scene later where, where Eve's holding Ariel 
you know, over the edge and, right. and he basically talks her out of it. And, um, you know, as, as he understands, he goes, you know, I, just because he freed me doesn't mean I'm safe. Well, I wish he'd said, cause we just watched Wreck-It Ralph last night, which I know you haven't seen, but you know, he should have said, just cause I'm a bad guy doesn't mean I'm a bad guy. Well, true. Right. <laughs> yeah. No question. Well, you know, one of the things that, that gets brought up, you know, is that Flynn says Shakespeare's power lay in the narrative that he wove over the audience. Okay. They're searching for the staff at the ruins of the wealthy man for whom Shakespeare often put on trials of his play, John D., that we mentioned at the top of the show. Despite her protestations, she seems pretty happy to be alone with Flynn on this adventure, but... Well, I thought the lay protested a little bit too much. Well, you, you maybe. Booyah! Yeah, Shakespeare, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Come on, man. Tell here, me you caught that one. Here again, obviously something you and I deal with on a daily basis, the power of words. Right. And, and again, it's just a great scene when, when he talks about, what you know, considering studying to be a thespian. Yeah. <laughs> and then she turned out to be, was it, was right. she Lady Macbeth? Is she was Lady Macbeth, right. Yeah. So. And he, he didn't even get, he didn't make the cast. No. Which is funny. Because, yeah. you know, like, it, it kind of harkens back to, and again, that the Flynn from the very first Librarian's movie, when he's just kind of like goofy and out of his element and everything. So, um, you know, later he's the, you know, suave, sophisticated man of action. But every now and then we still see those little bits of the, the old goof that, uh, of that, Flynn, as, as we saw him right at first. Yeah, and, and in fact, the outfit that he was wearing, it really reminded me of Peter Davis and the, was he the fifth doctor, I think? He was the fifth doctor, I believe, yes. and, and the outfit that he wore. But we frequently discuss pairings, as I mentioned. Jones and Stone are always fascinating to watch work together. <laughs> Stone is appalled that Jones doesn't know how to cross-reference using a card catalog. He's like, it's the 21st century. I don't know how to shoe a horse either. Yeah. <laughs> That's like excellent, excellent line. Yeah. It's not like we've got a search engine here. I guess we don't have a card catalog now anymore either. But right. uh, I'm not sure I would have known how to cross-reference even then, to be honest. No, e- exactly. Yeah. Not, I, I, I seem to remember learning it at some point, like in elementary school. But you know what? After the apocalypse comes, you know, there's going to be a select few people who are going to be able to find books. And the rest of us will just be standing in the middle of the libraries looking stupid. Yeah, I'm going with Sebastian Monroe. So, <laughs> All right. Well, alarm starts sounding. Jones remains calm. It's an alpha yeah. alert, the lowest yeah. level. Am I the only one who reads the security <laughs> manuals? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, because no one else wants to crack the security manuals, right? So, well, you know, I, I took it that way the first time I watched it. And while... I certainly think there's a huge element of truth to that. You know, I I love the fact that, you know, on the one hand, Jones has everything figured out. He uses his phone to update certain library systems, but he takes his job as librarian seriously. Again, I I think it's something that's easy to miss if you don't pay attention to the the details in, in, in the snappy dialogue, because he often acts as if, librarian is a temporary gig until a better payday comes along but i'm starting to think it's probably not even though he wouldn't admit it exactly yeah yeah and i I agree with that i think also when we saw him in like the alternate reality 
uh, in that last episode of season one, you know, he was the librarian. He was very, very serious and very different from what he is. So, so we know that that guy exists, right? He he's in there somewhere. Yeah. Well, you said the library when he goes to the the real library. I, I think he's with Stone at that at that point. He says, "I'm the librarian," and, and I thought, "Oh, wait a minute, you're a librarian." I, I, I'm not. I maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it it did get my attention. Okay. All right. So we're back at the library. Prospero's brought the fight to them, and confronts Jenkins. Of course, this negates Stone's desire to go on the offensive. Then, when threatened, and I was wondering when we were going to hear him say this, but Jenkins utters that line that he says even he's loath to use. Do you know who I am? <laughs> and yeah. then it's kind I, of a big deal. Yeah, but how Moriarty pieced it together was was just brilliant. And watching mm-hmm. Jenkins stand there and have to take it. Right. Because right. you knew right away he knew Prospero knew exactly who he was. Mm-hmm. But what we find out is Prospero's not looking for his broken staff, but rather the heart of the library to forge another one. Right. And I guess we believe Jenkins when he tells them that not only won't he lead them there, he can't. Yeah, I know he says why, but I can't remember though. Not sure I really understood it but meanwhile and and the other thing is there were a lot of cool parallels you know flynn and eve are searching for and solving clues to the staff's whereabouts while jones sets out to access the security system's back door to allow them to help jenkins because he's pretty much figured out what's really going on here then of course they've got to go to the actual library, you know, which is where he tells the librarian that he's the librarian, not a librarian. And then of course we get the scene with the uh, little girl, and I thought, you know, she was so awesome. Uh, so I looked her up on IMDb, but I think this was like one of her first or second credits. So she's still pretty young. She's probably still right. only in middle school. Yeah, I like how she shakes him down, right? Oh, oh, and and then the light is where she just holds up her, you know, it's like don't say another word. <laughs> yeah and uh you know, and, uh, you know of course ezekiel's like i, I like her <laughs> because the, i maybe horrified over stating it but seeing stone's reaction not to mention cassie but but uh yeah like you said jones like i like her <laughs> but jenkins informs prospero that he can't lead him to the heart of the library because it exists on an extra dimensional plane which obviously we've heard before and i you know i guess i believe him doesn't really matter whether i believe him or not because he encases jenkins in some kind of block yeah then he frees two more fictionals as muscle we, we should get t-shirts made team fiction yeah see we could wear them at school and when we podcast nice yeah well you know what was uh what what i thought and i'm like okay so they're 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 in a library so the like the dvd of westworld's got to be there i mean if you want muscle you go and get like yule brenner from westworld right yeah like that's that's muscle or like the terminator yeah Right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I'll give it to you. Like, Frankenstein's monster, on the surface, is a good call. But, you know, he's 
he's got issues, right? I mean, he comes packed with some serious freaking daddy issues to boot for one, you know? So like, I just, I think you should have gone with like a much more straight up muscle, less thinking type character. Well, I also like what they did with the Frankenstein character. The monster is that they really were, and and they say this in, in the show, truer to the uh, novel. That's who he was. Sorry. I was just, because <laughs> it was like driving me insane, like who that guy was who's playing Frankenstein. And? Frankenstein. Uh, well, you haven't seen Mad Men. I have not. But he was Paul Kinsey. I'm mad. Though you did, you, you watch Extant, right? Yeah, sure. He's uh, Nate Malone on Extant. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I, at first, he seemed like he really seemed like Vincent D'Onofrio because he like kind of had like the he reminded me of like I, I knew it wasn't Vincent D'Onofrio, but he just totally reminded me of him playing Kingpin. Um, though I knew it wasn't him, but now now I got it. Well, and I mean, Penny Dreadful did the same thing with Frankenstein's monster. It was a, it was a much more cerebral character than simply you know brute force you know right and it's a uh, terrible terrible call like if he you know he just wants a goon right and frankenstein's monsters that's right that's not where you go when you want a goon right but then what turns out to happen and you know again we'll get to that in a little bit it, again what was just a nice twist so sure. they're trying to figure out what to do about jenkins who's encased in this block eve just comes in and bashes it with something and frees him and i think you know as, as she I'm not sure if razor man. <laughs> right well sometimes it's just best not to overthink something yeah <laughs> and and i guess i love the fact that you know she kind of stands back i mean clearly she's in charge of the the three younger librarians but it, it's just sometimes she's got to just go rise above or perhaps rise below all of their overthinking and science and everything and just, you know, brute force. Right. So we find out that the tree of knowledge is at the heart of the library. So the search for the heart begins. Eve decides to go with stone. Yeah. Which uh, was she angry at Flynn because he cuts her off when she proposes triangulating the fixed points to stabilize the rooms. Uh, I don't, she might have been a bit cheesed, but I think basically when she makes like decisions, executive decisions with the librarians, uh, she doesn't let like personal anything get in the way of that. Okay. So this was purely tactical. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay. The problem is nobody knows how to get to the heart. Physical layout of the library is off. Some rooms, hallways are missing. Uh, there's some artifacts missing. I think he says 16 artifacts. I don't know whether... They're really significant artifacts, but but clearly things are not as they were. So that's obviously a problem. And then we get that scene where Jenkins admits that he's been unable to control the library the way Judson did. It's really difficult to watch because because again, I mean, the library, the librarians. One of the beautiful things about it is it doesn't take itself so seriously, right? But that doesn't mean there aren't emotional scenes and, and sure and certainly this is one of them you know uh, jenkins guys a little inferiority complex going yeah well i mean is he being too hard on himself yeah i think so probably but you know 
I mean, you know, because he didn't do things the way Judson did. Uh, that's, but it's nice that he confides in Cassandra, and and then he mentions that fear as a reason he didn't tell anybody. And I'm thinking like fear, fear of Flynn. Well, okay, as I mentioned before, Sir Galahad afraid of Flynn Carson. Sure, come on, seems unlikely. It seems unlikely. So, so we've got Stone with Eve, Flynn with Jones, which Jones just typically exasperates. Uh, Flynn, who probably does the same for Jones, and then Cassandra with Jenkins, which, uh, again, I really like these three pairings. And then we've got the Queen of Hearts swinging mm-hmm. an axe. Yeah. She was she's awesome quite, as well. She's quite fetching as well. She was. Um, <laughs> and, and again, like I looked her up, and she's just been in a lot of one-offs. I mean, she right. she works a lot. But there, there weren't too many shows where she did more than a couple episodes, right? But that, but so then at least she's working exactly. But then Stone reasons that she's acting out of character, and I guess I'm thinking like, okay, what's up with that? I'm not sure how we got to that point where Flynn gets Jones decked out in that Greek armor, right. just so they can safely grab Zeus's lightning rod. Right. I, I guess I think would, it's just funny you know okay and i but i guess they needed the lightning rod just to jump start the you know the the triangulation right so uh frankenstein's monster encounters jones and flynn and flynn defuses the situation by hugging it out with the monster yeah i like how he's like dragging ezekiel across the room yeah it's kind of funny. right and then they bring up well you know there's this 21st century we have plastic surgery and sure and like dude with with your physicality you ever think about pro sports <laughs> And then I see, you know, they're, they're, he and Jones are looking at uh, a dating site that he signed up for. <laughs> yeah. So and stuff like that is, uh, that's like classic. That's like, that's, that's why I love the librarians. Yeah, right. Stuff but, like and, and additionally, we now have Frankenstein's monster out in the, out in the world. Sure. So will he come back? Well, don't know, but he's certainly out there and it's a possibility. Yeah. Of course, I would think if he comes back, it'll be to help the librarians rather than to hinder them. But. Sure. Who knows? That's, right. that's always possible. But I don't know. Is, is his character still uh, alive and kicking and extant? Um, well, that show's over. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. it, two seasons. It's, oh. Yeah. So the triangulation begins. Somebody has to steady the towers. And, and again, I found it interesting that both Jones and Stone offer so that Eve and Flynn can go toward the heart. You know, Flynn and Eve find themselves in the lush forest which is the library's heart, but unbeknownst to them, Prospero and Moriarty are also there, have aerial advantage in tracking the tree of knowledge, which right. is hidden in the forest. And uh, yeah, like, but not, not doing a great job of it though. Not doing a great job of it, but we do uh, find out that at least one of the trees there is the tree of righteous indignation. <laughs> yeah, you got to have one of those. Yeah, that's right up there with the church, first church of the presumptuous assumption. <laughs> Now, listeners, if you know the origin of that, I'll be impressed. I'm not going to tell you where that comes from. Yeah, I don't. So. I know. You're too young. All right. So Eve brings up the fact that- You can just look it up. It's not like a big deal. You know, like that's how I'm going oh, right now. Cross-reference it. There yeah. you go. All right. You look it up. You still probably won't have heard of- All right. I'm sorry. <laughs> Eve brings up the fact she's having a difficult time coping with Flynn's approach to solving problems, which is basically- seat of the pants, no real plan. And, and she tells him 
you can't always win. You can't always have your way. And then he responds that, well, I haven't lost yet, which if this was any other show, you would say that's an immediate red flag. You're going to lose. You're exhibiting hubris. And then she tells him that 11 years as a librarian is beginner's luck compared to Prospero. Right. You know? Right. And, and then that line, we're either a team or we're not. It can't always be your way. And and again, we come back to that power issue that she doesn't want to be in charge, but she certainly wants to be respected for what she's done while he's been away. And, and, and while I certainly think he does respect her for what she's done with the three younger librarians, somebody's got to be in charge and his way, it might work when he's alone, but it's not necessarily going to work with a bigger team. All right. So did you look it up yet? Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's like some weird cult church, right? No. I don't know. What, what is it? The Church of the Presumptuous Assumption. Yeah, is that from something? Fire Sign Theater. Yeah. yeah. What's what's Fire Sign Theater? Oh, dude. Yeah, Fire Sign Media. What is that? They're, they were the comedy group in the early to mid-70s. Uh-huh. And, you know, like one of their al- albums, All Hail Marx and Lennon, and the covers, Groucho Marx and John Lennon. And, nice. Um you know, commie martyr high school. So, <laughs> uh, do you have a turntable? I do. Does it, you got it hooked up? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll, yeah. I'll dig up some albums here. Okay, cool. All right. Yeah. So, I still got like a big uh, collection of, of LPs. Okay. All right. So Eve grabs the Sprite from Prospero. I was mentioning that earlier, holds it over a cliff away from Moriarty, whose plan is foiled because she knows his story. And, and, and again, the fact that they're all bound to their texts, except apparently Prospero, certainly gives Eve and, and the team somewhat of an advantage, which then leads me to question, how the hell does she know all of these stories? Well, I mean... She was a soldier. <laughs> yeah, but I, you know, I mean, like Moriarty. I guess. You know... And she, I mean, she could have even seen it. Like, you know, maybe she watches Sherlock. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> but that right. was weird because they didn't do it like the, like oh, the, 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 I can't remember the name of the falls. It's a big story where Moriarty bites it and we think, you know, Sherlock is dead as well. And then he comes back. But yeah, you know, I mean, it's like a, a pretty famous, you know, death there of, you wouldn't need to be like super literate to, to know about Moriarty and what happens to him. Well, okay. I'll, I'll again, Dave. You just some of these things just gotta let it go. I know, I know. So he wants Eve to give him the locket because it serves both their interests, and he explains that to her. And and you know, Eve is not dumb, obviously. So that you know, I, I think she saw reason in what he was saying. Gives it up. He's afraid of Prospero's wrath, but. I guess I'm still a little fuzzy how it benefits Eve, but I'm going to, if she saw a benefit, I'm going to go with it. Nonetheless, she gives him Ariel. Why she decides to trust him, not sure, but uh, it leads us then to Prospero thinking Flynn has burned the tree of knowledge to keep him from getting its power. And that, that was just a, a awesome scene. Right. But I didn't necessarily 
see it coming. I mean, I wasn't totally surprised. But when he points to that little sapling and that line that knowledge is always young and growing, no matter how much you think you have, there's always room to grow. I'm like, wow. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I mean, it just, I mean, it just really knocked me out. That well, line. Yeah, again, I feel like if, if some of these bad guys would just like watch more TV and movies, they'd be more functional, you yeah, know? Right. Just, but, this is a classic Indiana Jones and the last crusade move, man, you know? Well, I mean, but of course that's exactly what's happening with the team, you know, that no matter how much you think you have or, or think, you know, like Flynn, there's always room to grow. I mean, he has to grow. He's the one that I think has to adapt. Sure. Not not the team. Right. He seems to be the one that's got to be more open to growth. She leans in to kiss his cheek after he tells her the truth about what he did. And it's like he didn't even notice because he just turns away and I'm like, okay, I give up. <laughs> I can't yeah. figure you two kids out. Exactly. I think that they that they love keeping us on our toes and not making it easy and you know, just kind of like, hey, shippers, have some of this up yours. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I wonder, uh, I mean, certainly we talked about last time where uh, Cassandra gets the phone number from the hot chick at the museum and and you know, certainly I mean, do we read something into that maybe maybe it's just a just a a good girlfriend you know well it's also the you know the girls who were attracted to her in the uh the fairy tale episode exactly uh so uh you know we're good right we haven't really seen stone in any kind of uh situations yet but that can only be a matter of time and and jones uh you know he, he got a little practice in the first episode Right. I'm not sure how how much it's going to do for him, but but we'll see. So so we get to the end, the the episode debrief, if you will. Prospero and Moriarty are still out there, though other fictionals, minus Frankenstein's monster, of course, have been returned. But now the conflict between Eve and Flynn rears its head because he wants to begin recovering the 16 artifacts, while she thinks the priority should be to fortify the library and okay, I'm not sure who's right in that case. I mean, they're both right. Right. Well, luckily they have two teams here. I was going to say, that's the beauty of six people. Right. It's Flynn Carson. He can't stay put. Eve's not enough to make him change. Yeah. So is it that he's just so self-centered or is it that he just really doesn't care for her enough? Uh, I mean, she's the one who sends him off, right? I guess. So she knows, like, I, I mean, Eve's just really kind of good at knowing the right thing at, for the right moment, you know? And she's like, right now, the, the you know, the kids need to kind of work together, and Flynn is not, she knows he's not ready for that, so he needs to go off on his own mission. And, uh, you know, she's, that's what makes her a good leader, is that she's able to, she knows her team so well that uh, you know, she comes up with the, the perfect solution and she knows how to deploy her, her troops. And she's willing to subjugate her own interests for the good of the group. Right, because of course she would want Flynn. I mean, whatever their relationship is, it seems to be one of mutual interests to one another and she would probably rather have him around, but she knows it's better for him not to be. Right, now, were you ever in a long-distance relationship? Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, I mean, I had a couple as well. 
I mean, there were certainly a lot of benefits to it, certainly a number of negatives. And it's almost as if that's something that both of them have, you know, I, I guess accepted as a positive at this point right. that w- when we're together, you know, we just go pedal to the metal and when we're apart, you know, we do our job. Yeah. Well, and I think cause you know, I, I, I married my long distance relationship. So, oh. um, but I think it was probably good for us at, that we both went away to colleges that were, you know, not close to one another. And so we were able to have our own experiences there and, you know, but we still were, you know, with each other and everything, you know. Cool. So, because, you know, like a lot of people in college, you know, who like were dating a girl out on campus or, or a guy on campus, like they would be into that person and they like, they wouldn't hang out with their buddies because they were always with the, the boyfriend or girlfriend and everything. Um, you know, and the, their identity became kind of locked up in that person rather than in becoming, exploring the world and, you know, becoming who they are. Well, a- a- exactly. Boy, uh, and that's a perfect assessment of these two, I think is that they're, you know, that, that they're able to work on themselves and, and explore their own individuality and, and, you know, become better people because they're not so tied up into that couple thing. Sure. Absolutely. No, I mean, and not that there's anything wrong with a couple thing of, right. of course, I but mean, it's, it's better for the show too, because you know, like when, I mean, that's like the death of a show, right? When it just becomes obsessed with, like, the couple, right? With when the the couple takes over, like, will they or won't they? When are they going to do it? When, you know, blah, 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 all that stuff. And then they get together, and it's just like, then that becomes the, like the whole show. And, like, that's not what this show is about at all. You're just the trying guy, to bait me now, aren't you? <laughs> I mean, the guy did with Leverage, right? Uh, with uh, Timothy Hutton's character, like, the, you know, uh, uh, Sophia and... Oh man, it's like I already can't remember his name. Holy cow, that's terrible. Anyway, the the, the main, you know whatever, but they they really downplayed the relationship, not making it like this big issue. And when they were together, when they finally did like kind of become a couple, their relationship was kind of like they never really didn't really address it so much. It came up in little bits here and there, but they didn't really address it, and so it stayed in the background and didn't become this major part of the show. Well. It'll be interesting to see what they do. I mean, what they've done so far, perfect. And then at the end, I mean, the last minute of the show was just, again, just so powerful. I mean, we know he's going off, Eve's left behind, but before she can really feel too bad about it, and of course, we just, you know, as you just said, I mean, there's certainly a lot of positives to to her being by herself there. The team comes to her ready to accomplish. It's almost like they instinctively know what she needs at that moment and each of them says something different and, and it's just perfect. And then, you know, the episode fades out just perfect, except that Prospero is still out there. Right. Which is not perfect, which is not perfect, but it's perfect for an overarching story. Yes. That won't get resolved until the final episode of the season. Oh, spoiler. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just imagining. Yeah. So, all right. Anything else? Uh, that yeah, we talked about? Nate obviously was the name of Timothy Hutton's character in Leverage. I apologize for my uh, little brain fart there. And so, anyway, but no, nothing else for this one. Great episode. Loved it. Love the librarians. Awesome. Another another corker. All right. Well, listen. Make sure you guys send us an email with 
your favorite character from the librarians. Make sure you tell us why. Look, you don't have to write a short novel or anything, but we'll read those on the air. We'll comment on them. You know, I, I've told you mine. Wayne will show you his. Uh, what? <laughs> I was just seeing if you were paying attention. Cheeky. <laughs> All right. But I uh, want to thank you for joining us tonight. Love to hear from you with follow-ups about any of the pilots that we talked about back in the uh, dark ages now. Uh, anything you think we should be watching, and obviously there's a lot of new stuff coming up, I'd like to encourage you to join the Facebook group, as a number of you have done recently. And if you're already a member, spread the word again. Spread which the I, word. I know, spread the love. And I know a lot of people are because I'll see that new members are being added by somebody that's already a member. So that's awesome. Uh, emails to sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com voicemails via speak pipe tab which you can access through the website and we'll be back next week to discuss season two episode three the librarians and what lies beneath the stones but until then you know dave i've really been mean to talk to you i feel that you're really adopting a snobbish air for someone so lowly born <laughs>